You have to stop saying if this baby comes. You need to start saying when this baby is here. Um, because I was like, you know, 30 weeks pregnant or whatever, and I was still saying if everything goes okay and, and she's here <laughs> in December. And we believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Mother Birth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey everybody, it's Laura and Melissa here from Mother Birth, and we're excited today. We have a guest on the show that we actually got connected with through another guest from our show. Um, for you faithful listeners out there, you might remember Jen McClellan, who is the creator and continuous contributor to um, Plus Mommy, and she is been such a great uh, resource to us and also has just been connecting us with wonderful people out there in the universe. And that person today is Kelly Peters. So Kelly's going to be on the show today to share her story of um, becoming a mom. So Kelly, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm 38 years old. I have a daughter who was just nine months last week. Um, I've been married to my husband for 11 years-ish. Yeah, let's let's just go with 11. Um, (laughs) And... uh, we had a long, long journey to, to have our daughter. Um, we tried to have her for seven years. Wow. So we went through, we went through some stuff, but yeah. um, we're off the other side. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. She's nine months old now. What's her name? Her name's Naomi. Naomi. That's beautiful. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about what, what the hurdles were that you guys faced um, that, that took you on such a long journey to meeting your daughter. Um, well, I have PCOS, um, but it was quite, it was, it was even a journey to get diagnosed. I had always mm-hmm. had some of the symptoms, um, ever since I, you know, started getting my period when I was 12 years old. And, you know, I would say, is this normal that I'm bleeding for a couple of months every single day? Or is this normal that I haven't bled for six months in a row and I'm not mm-hmm. pregnant and, and doctors would always say, now I've, I've always been heavy. Um, and so doctors would say, yeah, psh, lose 20 pounds and everything will be perfect. Right. Um, which I think happens a lot to heavy people. It's like, you know, you can go in there with an earache and someone will say, well, if you lose 20 pounds, you're perfect. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. um, so I didn't actually get a diagnosis until my husband and I had been trying for two or three years without birth control. And I was trying to do all the, all the things that you can do over the counter. You know, I was, uh, ovulation prediction kits and trying to do fertility signals and all this stuff. But for PCOS, at least in my case, none of that stuff works. Um, Mm -hmm. Ovulation prediction kits would say that I had ovulated multiple times in a month and blood work later when I was getting blood work would say, no, I never even had. So um, so I finally found a midwife who said, "I, I really think you have this thing. Like you sound exactly like a PCOS person. And, and she got me connected with people who did the testing. And I finally got a diagnosis, which was so amazing. And that was only like three or four years into our journey. <laughs> like it was still a heck of a way to go. Yeah. Um, but just getting a diagnosis and then eventually meeting a doctor who was like, yeah, here's our PCOS packet. This is what we do with people who are like you was amazing. It was so reassuring to just be told like, oh yeah, you have this thing, you know? So that was great. Um, and that was pretty much the start of our journey. Yeah. Yeah. So what was diagnosis and testing like? What does that entail? 
Um, for me, uh, it was a lot of blood work and then several uh, transvaginal ultrasounds, which mm-hmm. are not pleasant. Um, mm-hmm. Now, for me, even though it's polycystic ovarian syndrome, I've never had a reading with um, cysts on my ovaries. Okay. So the, the, you know, but it's not a marker. It's, it's one of the markers, but it's not a requirement. Um, yeah. You know, I could have had cysts at different points in my life. I just, I had all the, all the um, hormone markers and everything that they were testing for with blood. So, and I, I certainly do have it. I just, for some reason, you know, the three or four different ultrasounds I got, there was just never a cyst there, but hmm. Nevertheless, um, that's one of the things that people get confused about is that they're like, oh, well, I, you know, my cousin had cysts and she would be in pain and I've never had that, but I've never had them either, uh, to my knowledge. And yet here I am. Yeah. So um, that was pretty much the testing. And and that was um, something that was not, um, a lot of it wasn't covered insurance wise, um, unfortunately. Once, Once I got a diagnosis, it was very tricky trying to to get things covered with our insurance system so right that's another hurdle yeah I think that that is something um that just women's health at large obviously you can encounter that but I think especially when you start talking about um any kind of new I mean not that PCOS is new as an idea in the sense of it's been talked about for a while but as you explained in your journey um, there's not one test that you go get and they tell you, you have PCOS and people are really right. resistant to give it as a diagnosis um, for lots mm-hmm. of reasons you know one of the reasons being that it, because people kind of do this WebMD lifestyle now if you, they have an irregular period <laughs> they think they have PCOS and they want to get put on you know medications and I think I think there are reasons and that happens the biggest barrier in my opinion is that um insurance companies don't want to be treating another chronic condition and so for many years the stigma that you encountered which is oh well if you just lose weight then your periods will get normal um because you know it can PCOS can be related to um, weight, but it can also not be. So I think that that is something that people have a really a big misunderstanding about is that is it for some reason, if, if you lost weight, your PCOS would magically go away, um, which is wouldn't that be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. And yeah. that's just not the case. And that's just not that is just not the nature of the condition as well. Um, and I think, you know, people experience this with intramural disorders as well. Um, and I think mm-hmm. what comes is, you know, when there's unknown inside science and then you add a women's health component it's met with just a lot of resistance that just says like oh well you know if you just do this or do that like maybe you'll be normal or then it becomes an age thing oh you're you're just this age or you're just that age or and so until you have someone like you said that voice that says like you know what these maybe you don't have this one symptom that is a hallmark of it but it really sounds like this other this other like cluster of things might might be PCOS let's look into that you need you have to have someone yeah. who's willing to kind of look at you as a like a whole person with a with a long story yeah. and I mean your story started when you were 12 years old it's like that is a long story of menstrual history abnormal menstru- menstrual history and like people you know I just feel like yeah. it, your story is very common but it's it's not comforting like it's not comforting to be like oh well everybody else got treated this way too um <laughs> however yeah. you know I think that in that way like you said it was just the beginning of kind of starting to to understand that part of of your fertility journey too you know yeah and so did you did you feel relieved when you got this diagnosis or did it feel like now the hurdle was even more insurmountable no it was so wonderful it mm. was it was i remember 
calling my husband in the parking lot of of the doctor's the hospital the doctor's office was in the hospital and I and I called him and I was just like you're never going to believe this they're testing me for this thing that like explains everything like mm-hmm. all the stuff like because I've always been you know he and I have had conversations in my in my in our relationship and and he sees me you know when we moved in together and he would see me taking walks and going on the treadmill and doing yoga classes and doing dance classes and you know and he would see me struggle like eating really well and still like struggling to lose weight and I'm like there's a reason get this it's all related and he's yeah. like this is awesome so like we were we were thrilled we were so excited and then it, it still took about a year for me to get to a fertility doctor because um well, he switched jobs so that we could have insurance coverage for fertility treatments mm-hmm. because um, our our initial plan that we had did not cover it. And it's very cost prohibitive. Um, so especially we were kind of already behind the ball financially because he had had cancer. And so we had a lot of medical debt from that. Oh, man. Um, so we, you know, it was just this had to happen this way. So um, when we got the diagnosis, it still wasn't even, oh, and we're going to treat it. It was, all right, now we have to figure out how we're going to afford this. Are we going to do GoFundMe? Are we going to do, you know, big, big rich relatives for money? Are we going to, like, what can we do? And the thing that we both started doing was looking for a job that had coverage. And then he found it. And then we got in there. And like I said, the relief of just having a fertility doctor hand me a packet that says, like, PCOS program. And I'm like, Whoa, what do you know about that? <laughs> like, yeah. It was so, so relieving. So that's the doctor that you saw about a year after your diagnosis? Yes. So in that middle, you know, in that in-between time between your diagnosis and starting to work with that doctor who had a clear path, you know, forward and some and some steps that, you know, he would be together with you on towards achieving your goal of having a baby, did you feel like in that sort of time in between that you were struggling to know what the next steps would be or were you doing your own research what did that period look like that was when I went full-on Dr. Google like I just tried yeah. to read everything I could and and you know I tried I tried to keep like kind of a collection of bookmarked articles and and studies that seemed the most legit I have a very good friend who's a, a scientist and so I would send him things and be like okay, this seems good. Does this seem smart? Does this seem like Mm. the right path? And he would kind of look at it and say, well, the study was done with 300 people. So no, you know, or yes, this had a huge base of people. And so what they're saying is probably more accurate. So that was great. Mm -hmm. Um, During that year, I also lost over 60 pounds um, because I just put myself on, on extremely regimented, um, no carb, no sugar type of thing, because I was told that most fertility clinics had a BMI uh, requirement. Oh, um, and yeah. so I did not want to receive a diagnosis and have a switch jobs and have all this other stuff happen. And then me- walk in the door and be told like, sorry, you have to lose at least blah, blah, blah to, to yeah. be treated here. So yeah. I just went on, um, you know, really strict diet and I, you know, I did that, which <laughs> thank God, because I also knew that, um, I had a sister who had done IVF and I know that every round she did the hormones and all the stuff that they gave her made her gain weight every round. Mm. Um, and so I was expecting that I, I was hoping that this would work. I was expecting yeah. that I would gain weight every time we tried something and I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to give myself the best possible chance and the health of my baby, the best possible chance. So you know, I was trying to get myself in optimum health at the same time as doing all this research and looking for another job and all that. <laughs> yeah. Did your, did the fertility doctor that you ended up working with, did they have a BMI requirement? 
Um, they had a BMI requirement for IVF. I did not have to do IVF. Um, mm-hmm. I did. I actually conceived my daughter on my last ditch, kind of like, all right, you know what? I'm going to take off six months. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to do what I can do to get myself back in a, a healthier place. And um, and I said, well, while I'm right here, let's just do one more IUI. And then that was the one that, that conceived wow. my daughter. So. Sometimes it's just that, like, it's, it's just like, it's more magic than, than anything else, you know? It was just timing. I wound up being on bed rest with her. We had, um, moved out of the city because I just needed a break. We had had four losses Mm -hmm. and, um, the, the last loss that we had was very, uh, much harder. We had already seen ultrasound and images and stuff like that. So it was, it was much rougher for us. So we just said, I said, like, we got to get out of the city for like a couple of months, just get out of here. I said, well, while we're right here, let's try one more. And mm-hmm. then I was put on bed rest with my daughter. And thank God we were out of the city because we had lived in a three-story building. And, you know, there, there was no way I would have been able to do bed rest and walk up and down all those stairs all day long. And just, you know, it happened the way it was supposed to happen. I, I truly believe that. Yeah. So were your losses over, were they all after your diagnosis? Were they all IUI losses or were some of them before your diagnosis? No, they were all IUI losses. Okay. That must have been very discouraging. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and people would often say, after after my first loss, which was an ectopic, um, people kept saying to me, like, well, at least you know you can get pregnant. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. like, you know, that I understood that people are trying to be kind. Um, yeah. try, they, people don't know what to say. What do you say when somebody's suffering a loss, you know? Um, but I mean, that's, you know, that's like, that's like someone saying like, well, your husband cheats on you. Well, at least he's not beating you too. It's like, well, right. it's really not a <laughs> consolation, but I understand that you're trying to make me feel better, but yeah, but it, it, yeah. it did almost, that did almost help a little bit. Cause I was like, at least, at least my parts and his parts are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're just not doing it the right way yet. Um, yeah. and it wasn't until my, um, my last loss that they started doing genetic testing on, um, on the baby, because then they were saying like, okay, now you've had one ectopic and three losses and, you know, maybe there's, you know, something more at play here, but there wasn't, it was just bad luck, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I I think those kind of situations are often without explanation, even when you have a diagnosis of PCOS or even when there is, you know, some genetic factor, it's still kind of without explanation. Like there's not, it doesn't change what you do. It doesn't change what those outcomes have been. It doesn't change what the next outcome might be if you keep trying, you know? So it's almost like the information is not, even if you, even if it exists, it's just not actually very helpful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've had a few losses myself and and we have done some testing and Sorry. and I always just I always just felt like what will this tell me? Like uh, you know, uh, like what am I going to do next time? Like take more omega 3s? Like Exactly. I yeah, mean, there's only just, so it, much. Yeah, like it's it's a it's very defeating in that sense, you know. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I think sometimes for women there there is something that can be found that you know they could change something or they could do something differently or there could be some procedure that would help or you know they could be on you know whatever and, and maybe bed rest was the perfect solution for you and it sounds like that you know whether whether that actually had an effect on the outcome or not that was something that you you know you were able to to embrace in that time and and be you know 
be willing to do under the circumstances. But I think that, you know, most of the time it's like, there's just nothing we can do differently, you know? Yeah. And I wasn't put on bed rest because of the fertility treatments. I was put on bed rest because I had a subchorionic hematoma, which Ah. had been the reason that I had lost my previous daughter. Okay. Um, So the, the first one that I had, which, which resulted in a loss um, right before New Year's Eve um, was, you know, they said, oh, well, it used to be, we used to tell people to stay, you know, and, and keep their feet up and, you know, lay on their left side and not, you know, do bed rest. Um, and they said, ah, but we find that it really doesn't do much, make mm-hmm. a difference much. So the second time um, I had a subchorionic hematoma with, with um, my daughter, Naomi, um, I was not working. I was taking time off. I was in a place that I could take the bed rest. And, and I talked to the doctor and I just said, like, I know what protocol is. You told me last time it's just to kind of take it easy and don't lift anything heavy or whatever. And, and I said, but I'm, I'm doing everything I can right now. And he goes, yeah, go for it. Do total bed rest. He's like, if you can do that, do it. Let's right. try everything we can. We've already been down this road and not had it yeah. go well. So, um, yeah, so I just did. I, that was, that was because of hematoma, not because of fertility issues. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but it worked, you know, and I was able to do that. So, yeah. So Kelly, I'm curious, um, when you found out about PCOS, did you know anyone else that had PCOS? Like kind of what was your, your history with knowing about it or knowing anyone with it? I had never even heard about it before. Um, which is, is funny because you would think that doctors would have suggested it, you know, before that, but, um, I'd never met anybody who said they had it. It's funny after I got my diagnosis and I kind of thought about it and I was like, you know, I'm going to be open about this whole thing on like my personal social media and whatnot. And like, I, I started posting things about it and all of a sudden, like half a dozen of my friends come out of, you know, crawling out of the woodwork going, Oh yeah, me too. And it was just the same thing Mm -hmm. as, as dealing with fertility struggles. Nobody talked about it, but as soon as I started posting about it, all these people were private messaging me and saying like, yeah, we've been trying for three years. What clinic do you go to? And like all this stuff. And it's, it's, it's kind of all this, I don't know if it's, and and I don't know, I'm not like a psychologist or whatever, but I don't know if it's, a, it's a, it's a, it, like, it's a shameful thing to be betrayed by your body. Yeah. As, as a woman, my body is designed like scientifically, genetically, whatever designed to do this thing that I was trying so hard to do and to be consistently betrayed by my body. It was it, like, I didn't, I had to force myself to talk about it. And fortunately I've got a huge mouth. And I was able to talk about it for like all the people who couldn't talk about it among my friend group, who I later found out there were a ton of people that that I knew who were having struggles. And, you know, like I said, like, you know, a good handful of people that I knew in my life who had a diagnosis of PCOS who would never have mentioned it before. And I'm thinking, like, why are we not networking? Why are we not talking about this? Yeah. Yeah, it's it you're you nailed it when you said that, you know, your body betraying you is a shameful thing. And I think that's how women feel, whether it's infertility, whether it's loss, whether it's, um, you know, any any of these, whether it's like a difficult postpartum transition or, you know, struggling with breastfeeding or whatever those things might be. We feel like our bodies have betrayed us and uh, and there's so much shame around that. And I think that, you know, we're, we're getting more and more awareness around these things, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the last handful of years, certainly. And, and, 
there's, you know, there's certainly a lot more just with the advent of the online communities, there's a lot more, you know, kind of non or decentralized support systems that I think are really helpful. But I, but where I feel like those fall short is that they, they can actually further disconnect us from our actual communities. You know, if you, if you find great support in an online community and that's the only place that you're getting it, it can actually, you know, cause you to, to, to feel even further from the people in your own community. And like you said, it turns out there are several of your actual friends that have experienced the same thing or something similar, you know, something that they would be able to relate to that they would be able to provide support and, and, you know, empathy and comfort and, you know, maybe not advice, uh, sometimes advice maybe, but, you know, just really that sense of like, we're in this together. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that you you actually came to us through Jen, who runs a um, you know a, an online community for for plus size moms. Who certainly there are a number of women in that community that you know have had different fertility challenges, including PCOS. How did you find that group, and what was and how did that sort of fit into your overall support that you received? Um. I found her stuff when I was looking for plus size friendly providers in my city. Um, when I was still, (laughs) it might have even found her. No, I don't don't remember. It might've been when I was looking for my fertility doctor. Um, but I was like Google searching, you know, size friendly providers or plus size friendly providers or whatever. And she has, um, a, a section on her website specifically for that. Or she used to, I don't, I haven't looked on that part of the website for a while, but I, um, and that's how I found it. And then I was like, oh, this, this is interesting. Oh, this is kind of cool. And because yeah. I was coming up with a lot of that already, having been told for so long, like, oh, no, 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 there's nothing wrong with your periods. You're just too heavy, you know, by everybody, or, you know, every medical professional. And I think it's no mistake that the, fi- the person who finally said like, hey, has, has anybody ever talked to you about PCOS was a midwife. Yeah. Um, because I really think the midwife model of care is slightly different than the regular just kind of GYN you know, let's go for your visit and make sure everything's okay. And here's your prescription. Um, yeah. you know, cause I think that happens, but yeah, that's how I originally found out about that. And, and that is a great community and it's a great Facebook group. And, and, but I agree it's, it's people from all over the place. And, and while it's nice to connect with people online, finding out that a girl that I went to high school with was kind of like a year ahead of me in the, in the exact same patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually has, nine uh ten no you know what they're just about a year now there she has two little girls who are a couple months older than my daughter Mm. and we've definitely connected over the cycle of struggle and loss and we both have pcos and we both finally conceived and you know just happened to be about the same time but you know i wouldn't have known that how would i have known that she had this certainly not like reaching out to somebody i haven't talked to in 20 years and going hey you know i noticed that you were also heavy in high school do you have this thing like (laughs) you know (laughs) definitely inappropriate (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i love that you found jen's community and i love that you've also found you know more local or you know, physical, if I could use that word, support. Yeah. And and for the record, Jen does still have the guide to finding a size-friendly provider on her website. And we will okay. we'll share a link to that in the show notes so that anybody listening can find that. Um, we love what Jen does. And I think the resources that she provides to moms in general, but specifically plus-size moms are, there's nothing else like it out there. I mean, she, Seriously. Is, she is absolutely like got that corner of 
of the whole, you know, birth mom, you know, women's health world. She really has nailed that and we love what she does. So, um, and it's also, it's also great that you were able to find someone like, like you said, that, that high school friend who's kind of had these really just been maybe slightly ahead of you, but kind of really on the same path as you. And I think that one of the, one of the guests that we talked to on the show, um, a few months ago, you know, shared her journey with infertility. And she said, she talked a lot about how there was this sense in, in, whether it was online communities or among her friends that like when someone, you know, finally got pregnant and kind of moved on to the next stage and then had their baby, that there was like this sense of like, you know, we're not like part of the same crew anymore. And, you know, and then when you were the one that got pregnant and moved on, then there was this sense of survivor's guilt, like for all the people that, you know, hadn't yet that hadn't happened for them yet um so i love that you have sort of had this person that you could kind of almost be like you know in this partnership with where you get to experience these you know these different things together but have you also experienced that sense of you know at when you conceived and and you know were able to carry to term and have a healthy baby you know how did you reconcile that with the experience that you know of all those years of infertility and and all the the women now that you know who are in that same boat you know, I took, uh, <laughs> I, I took the, the example of what one of my very, very best friends, this girl and I were in each other's weddings. Like she's just one of my best friends who was also struggling when we, uh, you know, we were both struggling with fertility for t- totally different reasons. But, um, when I had my ectopic, which was my first, technically my first success at IUI, um, like two weeks later, she found out she was pregnant and, mm she had a healthy baby who's you know two years old now and um sweet little girl and and i was i kind of said to her because she and i knew that we we talked every single day we we didn't live very close to one another anymore but we talked every day and we would say somebody's going to be successful before the other person the odds that both of us are going to be successful in the same round is very slim so um you know we kind of said like the person who doesn't get pregnant is the one who gets to make the call about how this relationship goes for a little while. And so I, I just said to her, like, I, I have to mourn for myself. I'm very, very happy for you. I love you. I'm very excited, but I can't be there right now. And I, Mm -hmm. and I, and then because of the patterns of my own loss, I had another loss right around the time her daughter was born. Um, I just kind of was like absent in, in, her life for a little while and we, I, we would kind of check back in with one another here and there but I was just like I can't right now I don't have the headspace to be able to be happy for you like I need to be happy for you um and she just kind of said we're not going anywhere yeah um you let me know when you're ready we'll be okay <laughs> you know don't worry I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take my daughter and never see you again or whatever right um so the couple of friends who are still struggling or have still been struggling after I had a success I've kind of just said, like, you're calling the shots here. Let me know. And and one of them surfaced again and was like, all right, I'm ready to hang out or I'm ready to talk again. And and a couple of them still have dropped off. And, and you know what? That's I was not in a place for it myself. So I really am in no position to say, oh, you know, they should just be happy for me. Like, yeah. no, they shouldn't. They need to deal with their own stuff. You know, they can be however they're going to be about me. <laughs> but I right. kind of had like this core group of people that I was initially had met online and in, in a in an online uh, support group for fertility. 
And like one by one over the course of like the three years I was doing fertility treatments, they all got pregnant and left. And I kind of had this like the cheese stands alone kind of like moment where I'm like, well, I can either find a new group of people who are trying or like, you know, it is, it is a weird environment because it's not like, you know, when you're all single and you have a bunch of girlfriends and then somebody gets married and somebody else gets married and whatever, like, it's not the same thing because it's infertility is so isolating. It's not like, oh, well, she just has her husband with her sometimes now or whatever. Like, that's the only other thing that I've ever experienced where kind of people are dropping yeah, off of dropping off. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not, you know, I mean, that's like a happy thing and you can, you know, this is a totally different situa- situation. And so people are, you know, I don't know. I, I've had, um, I've had it go both ways. And definitely, I always say that the person who's struggling or who's still struggling, they're the ones who are going to make the decision about it. I think that's just such great advice, Kelly. And I feel like, you know, that can carry over both with doing like the the one thing about fertility um, treatments or any kind of IUI or IVF is there's a date. It's There's no mystery. It's not like, are we going to get, you know, it's not like, yeah. well, we'll just see kind of what happens this month. It's like, well, we did it. Bye bye thousands of dollars. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. like, and, and, you know, the people that are close to you know that, that you're going on Tuesday at. 3 p.m. and so there's I think that for a lot of people it becomes very isolating just because they don't want to keep sharing loss and it's a you know it's personally exhausting but it's also you know necessary like you said you kind of had found a little tribe and then you had to ask yourself like how much of this can I handle I love putting it towards that person and giving them that space like what a great friend to say to you like I'm not going anywhere like I know. Oh, I love it. I, I, She's the best. Believe I me. Yeah. And just, yeah. And just that like in, in, in so such a visceral way, she's like, girl, I know what you're going through and I'm, I'm starting to do something. I'm starting to go through something that would just hurt if it was me. I mean, that's what I feel like, yeah. you know, is true. And I think we get so concerned. Like you said, like if people are like, well, you know, at least you're married or like, well, at least you have a job. It's like, mm. okay. Like I, I feel like that's such a, it's such a, like if like we can laugh and joke about it but when it happens to you on the wrong like on tuesday at 3 p.m you're like you kind of you know i think that with my personality i just kind of want to be like yeah but i might never have a baby <laughs> like you almost want to go back yeah. at that person and be like you just said something really insensitive to me so i'm gonna you know not allow that kind of <laughs> you know whatever yeah. space or, or manner that is i think so yeah And I think it's so okay to make the distinction between like being happy for someone and, you know, having like your text train be full of pictures of their baby. Like, I think it's so much freedom and so much space for your friend to say that to you. And then for you to then say to other moms, like, like, I am happy for you, but that means, but, but right now that doesn't look like, like going to the park together and you playing with your baby. Well, I'm, well, I don't have one. It does. It looks like you not, you know, texting me pictures of your baby, like eating her first foods or, you know, saying her first words or whatever. And and for you to, to, to make that space for yourself or for any woman to make that space for themselves doesn't mean that they're like bitter and angry and like can't handle happiness for these other women. It just means that like that, that space that they're in is, is still, it's still like pain and uncertainty and, and 
you know, you don't know yet what the outcome is going to be. And sure. I, I just love that your friend gave you that gift. And I love that you guys talked about that. Like, how healthy is that for two friends to say like, hey, this is what the future could very likely hold for us that, you know, our paths will diverge in this important way. And it doesn't mean that we are, you know, choosing not to be friends. It doesn't mean that we're choosing to never, you know, have, you know, to sort of re-engage or, or re- um, Kindle our, you know, th- the time that we spend together or the ways that we interact or any of those things, but to say like, Hey, let's talk about this now, because this is probably going to happen. And I think that that, I mean, w- how many conversations like that do we have with our friends about anything? I mean, even, <laughs> even with our closest friends, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's so healthy and so, so uncommon. I mean, I think of the people that I'm cl- closest friends with and, you know, my, one of my, like, any of any of my closest friends, Laura is my very closest friend. And, you know, and we do have like very, very good open dialogue in our lives. But I think like, you've just given us such a great example of how someone could, it's, you're not just like, you're not just being proactive in a, in a logical or, um, you know, rational sense. You're like, you are, you are protecting the emotional space of the other person. And I think that is, it's just really incredible. So thank you for sharing that with us. I think that that will be, will be so good for women, you know, because it doesn't matter whether you have PCOS or whether you've been struggling with infertility for seven years or two years or whether you've, you know, had a number of pregnancy losses or whether you have a partner that, you know, you thought you were going to have kids together and now they don't want to anymore. And you're in that, you know, that stage of not, being sure if that's going to be able to happen to you, like whatever the reasons for that are, I think that women just get so isolated in these, these places of, you know, of uncertainty. And like you said, that sense of betrayal, that sense of like, this is what I'm meant for. And not every woman feels that way, but if, you know, the women who are listening to this and who are in these conversations, like they do feel that way. They do feel like this is what I want. This is what I've been, you know, working towards or waiting for, or been excited about my whole life or whatever, whatever that looks like. And that's not happening for me. Yeah. It is a sense of betrayal. I think there's also women we love to say like, no, I'm fine. I'm yeah. okay. You know, there's this idea that, like, it's fine to be completely open about, you know, whatever, sexual things that you've done with people or, you know, I'm thinking about, like, when I was single and we would all talk about, like, what yeah. we had done with people or whatever. And, and, like, there was never any embarrassment about that. Like, get a group of people together who've been trying to have a baby and, like, everyone's like, oh, no, I don't, you know, I don't feel comfortable talking yeah. about that. And I think... I'm mm-hmm. very, very lucky to have that one girlfriend who I can say anything to and she can say anything to me. So I think that's why we had that conversation because it's like yeah. we talk everything to death anyway. So, you know, <laughs> the mundane yeah. things and the big important things. So, um, but yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a funny little conundrum that we have where we like to tell everyone we're fine. We're fine. We're all fine. I'll be okay. You know, yeah. right? Like, no, I'm not. This sucks. This is horrible. Let me like embrace the fact that this is a terrible thing. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you. So we always we like to ask people when they feel like they became a mother, or when they first maybe had the feeling of being a mother, as you know, motherhood's very fluid and it can look very different than just getting pregnant and having a baby. Um, uh, I was kind of wondering what that was like for you if you had that moment and if you wanted to share a little bit about your birth and. Once you got pregnant and kind of owning that part of your body 
kind of succeeding in your fertility journey? Okay. Um, well, I think I, I, <laughs> I think I felt like a mother, like a long time before I got pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I feel like it and to not get too, um, new agey, but I feel like, uh, this soul, uh, my daughter's soul, um, my soul was supposed to be her mom. And I feel like through all the trying, like she was just there, like right over my shoulder. Like, I feel like she was just with me the whole time. And so I used to like, during my journey, I would journal to her and I have these things now. Mm. And, um, you know, it's funny, we've just moved. Um, we moved last month and I'm packing up all this stuff and I'm, I'm finding like these little scraps of paper of these little notes that I've written to her and like, you know, 2007 or 2009 or, or like when I had my first loss and I was still talking to that baby, knowing that it was like this, ba- like I, I've got this whole thing yeah. <laughs> where this, like this, that I think that, you know, it's just people are supposed to connect and whether it's believing that like my husband and I were supposed to connect as a husband and wife or my child and I were supposed to connect as a, as a mother and child, I just feel like, so I've always kind of felt like I'm this little soul's mother. Um, I know that's kind of a weird way no, of looking no, at it. No, it's not weird. But, uh-uh. <laughs> uh, but um, so I, my pregnancy was a little rough. Um, I think when you're dealing with infertility and when you struggle with infertility, like you see people doing things like announcing, you know, when they're two weeks pregnant and, and you're like, oh my God, don't you know all the things that could happen? And, you know, so we didn't like for the first part of my pregnancy, I, I was on bed rest. I had another subchorionic hematoma. So we definitely weren't telling anyone. We didn't even tell my husband's mother. Um, I told uh, one out of my three sisters, I told my one very good girlfriend and, and, you know, my husband and I, and my mom, you know, that was it. And so it was like, you know, and then it was when we got our 20 week ultrasound was when we told my mother-in-law and, um, it's not because we're not close with her. It's because we've just been bitten so many times by like being excited and then not being excited. So I feel like there was like this kind of shadow of anxiety over my pregnancy where I was just, I can't, I remember my midwife saying to me at one point, um, like, you have to stop saying if this baby comes, you need right. to start saying when this baby is here. Yeah. Um, because I was like, you know, 30 weeks pregnant or whatever. And I was still saying, if everything goes okay and, and she's here in December yeah. <laughs> and, and she's like, stop it. She's like, even you could have this baby tomorrow. It would be a disaster, you know, in the hospital and you'd be doing all this stuff. But like, she, you have this baby tomorrow and she would be fine. You know, stop it. And I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, the pregnancy was very anxiety ridden and the, um, I had to be induced because I was high risk because of multiple losses and PCOS and being an old lady and all that lovely stuff they tell you when you're over 35, <laughs> the advanced maternal age. Advanced and, maternal age. Um, yeah. You know, gosh, that's that's much better than geriatric pregnancy. They but, did, you know, they not did us a favor, yeah, when they changed it. That's a, an improvement. <laughs> yeah, thanks. That's, that's you know, uh, I can get into that, but I won't. But, um, you know, so the... So I was induced, but I was induced at at 39 and five. So, I mean, I wasn't induced super early and, you know, that kind of took away from some of the, you know, I had wanted to try a water birth, but then I was hooked up to this Heplock and so I couldn't get into tub or the shower or, you know, so it wasn't a dream, you know, fantasy thing where I was surrounded and, you know, by flowers and water or anything, but 
you know, I, I did it with no epidural. I did it as natural as I could. I did, I was belly dancing in labor because that mm. my uh, belly dance teacher had taught me some moves to open up my hips. And so that was really nice. And um, I had my midwives there and that was great. And um, towards the end, they, um, she kind of, her, her heart rate started getting funky. And so they just said like, you have to, you have to, <laughs> you have to push. And remember it's how time. in birth class we said, um, you push and then you get a break and your body brings the baby back and then you push and then you get a break in the body, you know, so that it elasticizes and all that stuff. She said, we're not doing this. You're getting this child out right now. You push until you cannot push anymore. And then you start again. She's like, you're yeah. not even getting a break. And so I just like, I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I wasn't imagining this, but hey, if the baby comes out, okay, we're good. So, you know, that was great. And um, how long know, did you push for? It was like under 10 minutes because oh, wow. they just, they said, get her out. I yeah. tore up pretty badly. Um, recovery was not awesome, but she came out. She was breathing. She was healthy. She, you know, was nursed right away. We did, um, you know, delayed cord clamping. And, you know, so we were able to do all that stuff. Um, they said they were like oh does dad still want to catch the baby and i just looked at my husband he's like no he's like i'm gonna stay up here with her because <laughs> at that point i was just like pushing 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 he's like he's like i think i think you might have gone to the bathroom i'm like go ahead go away like just, i don't need to hear this now <laughs> but she came out she's healthy she's good and you know it's not the first time my husband's been in the same room while i had a bowel movement so you know yeah. there you go it's not going go. on the christmas card this year but you know <laughs> <laughs> but it's not news. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's, I I mean, you sound like a rock star if you pushed her out in 10 minutes. I mean, that's, that's like, <laughs> pretty amazing. Um, uh, yes, exactly like a rock star, because um, when I was pushing, I was begging for drugs. So yeah, mm -hmm. like a 70s rock star, right. glam rock style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So she's born. You guys had had some time to bond and all of that. How how did it feel after seven years of trying and, and waiting? And like you said, you've had this sense this whole time that this daughter is coming to you, that she belongs to you, that she's already part of you, part of your life. What does it feel like to hold her? Unbelievable. It was it was it was the only other time in my life that I've felt such a sense of home was when I met my husband, mm. which that sounds so corny, but it's true. Like I met him and I was like, Ooh, hold on a second. There's, this is, this feels right. This is good. It was just, I, I held her and she, they, you know, they, she did the kind of, you know, breast crawl thing that they do where they scooch towards, you know, to, to start feeding. And I was just like, Oh, Hey, Okay, well, it's nice to put a face with with everything, you know. Yeah, I, I know you now. Like, it was amazing. It was an amazing, amazing thing. And um, words are not going to do it justice because it was like, you know, kismet, yeah, like fate. You know, like, mm -hmm. oh, here you are. What took you so long? Okay, come on, let's hmm. start this. Let's go. Yeah, that's really, really beautiful. I'm curious to ask if you found any ways that helped you to manage your anxiety while you were pregnant. I know you talked about just kind of that feeling of, you know, how many times you've been down this path and, you know, just that feeling of betrayal that your that your body has, you know, that it can't be trusted. And yeah. did, was that something that, were there any things that you did that, that did alleviate that anxiety? 
um, I saw a therapist. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I had started to see a therapist when I had my last loss because I just, that one just knocked me for a loop. And, and I just kind of was in a place where I just, I was like, I, I need to talk to somebody. If this is, you know, cuddling with my husband and watching Netflix is not doing it for me anymore, you know, in terms of getting mm -hmm. me out of a funk. So I just, you know, I found somebody who used to work in the hospitals with, um, you know, babies and new, new mothers. Um, and so I was looking for someone who had experience with fertility and loss. I found this woman instead. She was amazing, is amazing. Um, and we did a lot of, like, I would see her every couple of weeks. I even did phone sessions with her while I was on bed rest. Um, because I had a lot of anxiety about this pregnancy, but basically the best thing that I would do, which is something that she, she told me to do was kind of grounding myself and sitting very still and saying like, you know, my feet are on the ground and I am in this house. I'm in my, the living room of my home and, you know, I'm in this town and, 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 and mm -hmm. I'm in this state and, and kind of like getting a perspective of where I was and then sitting still until I felt my daughter move and go, see, she's doing what she's supposed to be doing. She's, you know, that it was very reassuring once she, once I started feeling her move because I yeah. used to have a little leap of anxiety every time I went into the office to hear the heartbeat um, or get an ultrasound because with my last loss, it was at a heartbeat check that they were like, they couldn't find it. And so mm -hmm. every time I would go in to get that done, I would be like anxious about that. Cause I would be like, Oh gosh, please just, you know, let them hear it. Let them hear it. Um, so once I started feeling her move, it was very reassuring when I was dealing with anxiety because I could just say like, no, she's, that's her, that's her kicking right now. Like this, she is fine down there. That is not a kick of distress. That is a kick of someone who's going, it's getting a little small in here, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that was reassuring. And I, I would talk to her and, you know, I did a lot of meditation and kind of centering grounding type things. Uh, that really, really helped with it. But at the end of the day, the thing that cured my anxiety was holding my child in my hands. Mm, that was the yeah. thing, that, you know, and then I started worrying about, you know, her chewing on an electric plug or whatever. So right, you know? yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. probably always going to be an anxious mom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's always something I can say that for sure. I have an yeah. eight year old now. And I mean, I would say that like over the years, I've gotten so much better at managing my anxiety. And as they get older, you worry less about like, all the little things constantly, but then some of the bigger things really start to, right. to creep in, you know, it's like, you're not worried so much anymore about if they're going to choke on nuts. You're now you're worried about if they're like bullying other kids yeah. at school. Of, of course. Know? I'm sure, I'm sure that's a train that keeps, you know, rolling. <laughs> it, it is, it is. But I also think that like those, those practices, I mean, what you've described is mindfulness, you know, that like yeah. that grounding, that presence, that just kind of refocusing your attention, your, you know, your, um, your actual like physical space. I think that those, those things will serve you every step of the journey, like yeah. they have for me and, you know, every, every other mom. Yeah. Well, do you have any, um, are there any sort of longer term effects or concerns that a woman with PCOS, you know, whether that's if, you know, if they're going to try to have more kids or whether that's just, you know, longer term health issues, any, is there, are there any other things that, you know, that you will have to deal with in relation to your PCOS as you you know, as you move beyond your childbearing years and towards menopause and all of that? 
I'm not so sure about menopause because I haven't really spoken to my doctors about that, but I know that our initial plan back when we thought that not using birth control was going to get us pregnant was after we had had our children that we wanted to have, which, you know, slowly dwindled down to we're just having the one, um, we were going to, my husband was going to get a vasectomy, you know, as our form Mm -hmm. of birth control. Um, Now, I mean, he can still do that if he wants to, but I am going to have to be on something because if I don't shed my lining on a consistent basis, then that can, um, you know, increase the risk for certain types of cancers and, mm-hmm. and all kinds of fun things like that. So um, I've been told by my doctors that I need to be on something. So right now I'm kind of going back and forth and trying to figure out what kind of birth control I really want to be on. I, I am not too keen on hormonal birth control, but that seems to be the path for us. Um you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's other things like that. Whereas if I was just a person who was like, yeah, you know, I don't, I, you know, I think we're done having kids, but it's, it's, you know, I was just a normal 38 year old. Mm-hmm. I would probably just not be on anything um, and just say like, well, if it happens, it happens. But you know, we're not doing this again. We're not going to yeah. go through all the expensive <laughs> treatments again and all that. So, yeah. um, you know, so there's, there's that. And then I, can't speak like I said I can't speak to the menopause stuff it would be a fantasy to be like oh wait once all your hormones are menopausal then you're fine but I'm I'm guessing that's not the answer because PCOS is the gift that keeps on giving Mm. so it's probably there's probably some you know obnoxious thing that happens when you're menopausal too like you you know god knows what Laura probably knows more about that since she is actually a midwife (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean some of it is that it's unknown because if you go into menopause and have a complete um, suppression of ovulation, then for some people that's an alleviation of symptoms, which is why they recommend hormonal birth control sometimes. But again, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. And for some people, it actually delays menopause. Um, So I think, you know, just like with anything that they're still learning a lot about, PCOS is definitely in that category. Um, and one of the reasons yeah. that we were really excited to be connected with Kelly is that September is National PCOS Awareness Month. And um, there's a lot of events going on in online communities, but also at the PCOS Awareness Organization um, to kind of work on educating women about PCOS, what symptoms are, and also finding providers who are doing um, research and treatments. So uh, we'll definitely put that in the yeah. show notes as well. And um, I think it, it was good for me as I kind of started learning more about uh, gynecological health, just to kind of be aware that 10 million women in the U.S. have PCOS. So I wouldn't call that like well, a small population at all. So I think that that yeah, was <laughs> seriously, you know, and I think, you know, when you think on a scale like that, and then there's people just like you, Kelly, who probably were ha- have struggled with it for a long time and it's unknown. So, um, unknown for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I appreciate you being willing to share your journey, yeah. uh, both with PCOS and also just your fertility journey, just because as you said, it becomes there's certain topics that we we as women become silent about and you know the more people who speak out the more women who will hear this and hopefully the more women who will feel um, less like it's their body betraying them and more like it's something that they can actually begin to kind of integrate and cope with in their life so yeah and and I think that we would hope that you know this this conversation would 
would encourage women who are on this journey, whether they know they have PCOS or they're having, you know, fertility challenges or, you know, have had some of these longer term, you know, symptoms that, you know, that they aren't sure about to talk to their providers. And, and again, we love Jen's resource on finding a size friendly provider. And I think that goes hand in hand with finding a provider that is going to be, you know, really, um, intuitive about helping women, you know, uncover what's really going on in their bodies. And I think that, you know, a lot of times we can get stuck not knowing what's going on and, and in, in relationships with providers where it's just like, it's just the same stuff that's being regurgitated again and again. And I think that Kelly's story is, is so inspiring that, you know, you can find someone that will help you get to the bottom of what's going on. And it doesn't mean there's going to be a magic pill that's going to make it all go away or that, you know, with fertility issues that there's, you know, that there aren't going to be challenges ahead. But I think that like Kelly described, like having this diagnosis was like a huge breath of relief. And I think that we hear that all the time that just knowing like, what am I dealing with? Even if, even if like the journey doesn't get any easier than it has already been, just knowing what you're working with is, is huge. So Kelly, as we wrap up, is there anything that you would want to say to moms who are who are on a journey similar to yours, whether the details are exactly the same or not? Is there anything you would want to share with them to encourage them? Just that for me, um, one of the big things that that helped was self-care. Mm. Um, I know it sounds so silly and it sounds like a meme or whatever to say, like, you know, self-love, self-care is not uh, is not selfish, but it just when you're going through something like this and and your entire life becomes timetables of i'm in my two week wait i did i test this day i do this this hour i take my temperature this time i you know yeah it's it's so important to you know it it doesn't even have to be like go get acupuncture go get a massage although those things are lovely and i highly recommend them both but um you know, take a walk, like take a deep breath, like mm-hmm. don't, you know, leave, like I, I would turn off my phone and, and leave it at home and I would just take a walk. And, you know, I was in the city. It's not like I was in a bucolic, you know, field full of flowers or something. I was, but I just, just to be able to like get away from it and just be like, not thinking about it for a little bit was so, so helpful. And, yeah. you know, that didn't help at all with the fertility. It just helped with me not being insane and like, you know, killing my husband in a fit of rage or something. Yeah. That was, which would you know, be understandable if you did also affect the fertility though. I, at the end of the yes. day, at the <laughs> end of the day, there would be as just a slight effect on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think, I think that's the big thing is, is, and, and, please be an advocate for yourself because for so many years I was saying to doctors like this isn't normal like I you know I'm I'm in a household with four other women like (laughs) I know that this isn't normal just based on my own observations so please shouldn't we all be having our periods at the same time (laughs) (laughs) shouldn't we all be having like something happen or nothing happen or yeah and 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 for so long I just was like in this place where I was like yeah you're right it's because I'm fat like and and that's such a shame because yeah. I could have had this addressed when I was 20 years old. Yeah. You know, who knows, who knows what would have happened, you know? So yeah. that's something, but thank you so much for, for speaking to me today, guys. I, I really appreciate the invitation. Yeah. We're so glad that you shared so candidly with us and I know it will be really 
really helpful to our listeners. Again, whatever, whatever their journey is just to hear. And I think also like you talked about when we were talking before the show, like so few women know anything about PCOS and whether, whether they may or may not have that themselves. I think it's just really important to, to spread the, to spread awareness that this is like Laura said, there are millions and millions of women who are experiencing this. So, (laughs) all right. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. We've loved having you on the show. Um, It was a pleasure. Yeah. We're looking forward to sharing it this coming week. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Breast is a personal podcast created by Laura and Melissa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period. 